This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you guys on Tuesday night. And the Biden impeachment inquiry has begun. Now, I don't know how far this is going to go. I don't know if this is just an inquiry that might come up uh, empty-handed. It seems to me, if I'm reading the tea leaves, that... There might be more to this than meets the eye, but that's usually how politics works, right? But today, uh, Kevin McCarthy announced the uh, list of evidence and charges, potential charges, and everything that has been going on with respect to Joe Biden's uh, malfeasance, and I want you to hear it. You know, the months that we were gone and the weeks, House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. Taken together, these allegations paint a picture of a culture of corruption. Now, here's what we know so far. Through our investigations, we have found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings. Eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls and had multiple interactions. Dinners resulted in cars and millions of dollars into his sons and his sons' business partners. We know that bank records show that nearly $20 million in payments were directed to the Biden family members and associates through various shale companies. The Treasury Department alone has more than 150 transactions involving the Biden family and other business associates that were flagged as suspicious activity by U.S. banks. Even a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. Biden used his official office to coordinate with Hunter Biden's business partners about Hunter's role in Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company. Finally, despite these serious allegations, it appears that the president's family has been offered special treatment by Biden's own administration. Treatment that not otherwise would have received if they were not related to the president. 
These are allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. And they warrant further investigation by the House of Representatives. So this tells us one of two things. Either A, McCarthy sitting on more evidence than he's let on, and we now know that this uh, special treatment, probably the sweetheart deal in the special counsel deal, or this is all a deal, right? It's a deal because the Democrats are saying, you know what, the polls look horrible, he's underwater, there's not a shot for him here, and the deal's been made. And you see politics, especially like Washington-style politics or, you know, Trenton, New Jersey-style politics, it's, it's all about a deal. Everything is choreographed. People make a deal. I'll do this if you do that, right? McConnell's a great dealmaker. McCarthy's a dealmaker. Uh, that, that's how you survive in Washington. So it seems to me that the Democrats said, all right, look, here's what we want. We want this, 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 and this. You let us get this, and we'll give you Biden. You go easy on us in the next term. Maybe we even beat you with Harris. But you get at least we have a shot, a fighting chance, because they feel that they can't hold on to power with Biden. And the only reason I come to this conclusion is because you got to read the media. Now, the media has been all over the place with this, right? I just heard a, a video of Jake Tapper saying, you know, reading a Washington Post headline of all places saying that, Hunter Biden made $2.2 million in one year and $2.4 the next year. And it mainly came from Chinese and Ukrainian interests. And Jake Tapper was saying, this goes directly in contrast with what the president said back in the debate with Trump when Trump said, your son's making all this money off of China and Ukraine. So hold up, wait a minute. What's going on? Is it that Jake Tapper woke up and he decided to be a fair and honest journalist? Come on, of course not. It's that now the media's in. And they're pushing the agenda that needs to be pushed, which is, let's get rid of Biden. That's the only conclusion I come up with. But McCarthy formally announced the impeachment of president or the impeachment inquiry. This is not an official impeachment hearing, but just an inquiry into it. Listen to this. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. That's exactly what we want to know, the answers. I believe the president would want to answer these questions and allegations as well. This effort will be led by Chairman James Comer at the Committee on Oversight in coordination with Chairman Jim Jordan for Judiciary Committee and Chairman Jason Smith on ways and means. Now, I do not make this decision lightly. And regardless of your party or who you voted for, these facts should concern all Americans. The American people deserve to know that the public offices are not for sale and that the federal government is not being used to cover up the actions of a politically associated family. Now, I would encourage the president and his team to fully cooperate with this investigation in the interests of transparency. We are committed to getting the answers for the American public. Nothing more, nothing less. We will go wherever the evidence takes us. So there we go. And this, this again, sounds uh, very similar to, and I believe it, by the way, but it sounds similar to a speech that uh, Chuck Schumer gave back in 2020. 
And I don't think I have the audio clip for you, but in essence, what he said was, it doesn't matter how many impeachments. If the guy keeps breaking the law, we're going to keep impeaching him. It doesn't matter if it's two times, three times, four times. If he broke the law, he has to be impeached. And if the next president breaks the law, we'll impeach him or her too, right? That was back, I think, in April of 2020 that Joe Biden, I mean, uh, Chuck Schumer said that. Politicians always know how to say what they think is what the American people need to hear, especially on these big days where people are more concerned with what happened on last night's game or what's going on in their favorite reality show and how they prepare for work tomorrow and how they're going to care for their kids and, you know, do what they have to do financially. But big news like this, it, it makes its way to them. You know, you'll hear it on the radio tonight. You'll hear it on television tomorrow. It'll, it'll make some waves. And people will start seeing those tiny sound bites of, of McCarthy and Schumer and anybody else out there saying what needs to be said. And like I said, I do believe that McCarthy's accurate and he's correct here. This, this should have been done a long time ago. But he was playing it safe. He's a, he's a smart politician. He knows Washington. And he's a deal maker. So I'm guessing he's got something pretty good that got the Democrats scared enough to make a deal to get rid of Joe Biden. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about what is going on with the attack on kids and the attack on parental rights. It just gets worse and worse in California and really, honestly, throughout the country. We don't see uh, it stopping anytime soon. We're going to talk about that next. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. today uh, discussing all things crazy and one of the crazy things they were talking about is some of the types of books that are in schools all across America and and how graphic they are and how uh, perverse they are and Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana uh, pointedly made uh, some remarks by reading out of the book and uh, we'll get you the audio on that in a moment but the first clip I want to play for you is Senator Kennedy in his um, questioning in this hearing with let me see. What's this guy's name? I don't have it. Um, Alex Ginolis, the Illinois Secretary of State. And having this discussion on on books and how difficult they are. And it, it, it's pretty graphic. We'll, like I said, we'll, we'll get you the bleeped version of it in a moment. But this exchange is very telling, and I want you to listen close. What would you do in terms of making the books available? Would you say anybody can see them? Or they have to be in a special session? Students who do not read books like All Boys Aren't Blue cannot learn what is appropriate. I understand that. They cannot learn I understand, but none of you abuse. want to answer my question. You come here and you say censorship is bad. And of course it's bad. But the obvious response is, okay, you heard the books we're talking about. Okay, we're not talking about Catcher in the Rye. So tell me what you want, who gets to decide. And all I've heard is the librarians. And parents have nothing to do with it. And if that's your response, what planet did you just parachute in from? Parents, Senator. Or what country, more appropriately? This is not China. 
Parents, Senator, with all due respect, parents absolutely have a say. My parents were immigrants, came to this country. We never checked out books without our parents seeing what, what books we were reading. They encouraged us to Mr. read Mr. Secretary, books. I understand this is good for your politics back home. It's got nothing to do with I'm my not, politics. No, my bill is passed. Of course it does. My it bill every, is passed. has everything to do with your I'm politics. Here, I'm here to... But you came here with a problem, and I'm trying to understand the solution, and you don't have one. We solved the solution. Other than, we solved the solution Other than Illinois. to tell us that if we don't agree with you, you're on the wrong, we'll be on the wrong side of history. We solved the problem in Illinois. We fixed it. Because we uh, well, there are others you make- could work on. Now, of course, uh, this um, Secretary Ale- uh, Alexia Janoulis, the Illinois Secretary of State, is um, he-, he goes on and he goes on to say, you know, he-, he lets it out of the bag, right? He says, you know, because some random parents, and, and it-, it, I can't help being a parent and being a school board member and just caring a little bit that w- when you have people that are in power that are supposed to be, you know, I guess in my flawed view, a public servant, and they go off the deep end thinking that parents are just random when parents are really your primary stakeholder, really, your, and the children, it, we have a real problem. And this is, there's no better evidence of this than the new law coming out of um, California, this gender affirmation rule, where kids could become wards of the state under this new rule, because they may not choose to acknowledge the gender that their five or six or seven or eight or 10 year old decides to choose that day. And this is a big deal. And that's why I want to bring in one of the big guns, somebody who follows what's going on in education very closely. Corey DeAngelis, he's a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children and a visiting fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. And he's all over the place as a scholar. Corey DeAngelis, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. So, I mean, there's a lot already that I, I've put out there, but based on what you've heard, uh, I guess it's obvious there's a movement afoot in this country, and it's been there for a while, where they're really trying to usurp the authority of parents so that they could teach kids whatever they want and weaken and soften the education system to meet a political end. Do, do you think that I, I said that fairly, or am I leaving something out? Yeah, I think you're totally right. Right, The left has infiltrated the government school system for far too long, and conservatives are just now waking up, partially because the teachers' unions overpaid their hand during COVID with Randy Weingarten's union, the American Federation of Teachers, and the NEA lobbying the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen schools. You had them fear-mongering all across the country. Chicago Teachers' Union was deleting tweets saying it was racist to reopen schools. Uh, they had fake body bags. I was living in D.C. at the time. They had put fake body bags outside the D.C. public school offices, wow. implying that if you want to open the schools, you're trying to kill teachers, which is totally yeah. off base. When everything else was opening, private right. schools were open, grocery stores were open, but families got this what the heck was going on in the classroom. Parents who thought their kids were, were fine in good public schools, maybe because of the standardized test scores, started to see another dimension of school quality that's more important, which is whether the school's curriculum aligns with families' values. And, and parents don't want to send their kids to institutions where they're being indoctrinated to hate them for 13 years. They certainly want, don't want that. And they certainly don't want gender ideology forced down their children's throats for 13 years either. They just want the schools to focus on the basics, math, reading, and writing. A hundred percent. So th- this movement, uh, to me, it looks like it's careening out of control. 
but it doesn't look like it's winding down. It looks like it's right. picking up steam. I think it's just our side or the side of the parents, the side of the children. Um, there's people in the school choice movement that have been, you know, kind of abreast of this for a while, but that's a minority. And now that well, I think more parents are involved, it seems like they're they're saying something, but I, I feel like they're winning. Well, I mean, you, you would think these idiots on the left would start to learn a little bit after some of the election losses, like in Virginia with Terry McAuliffe, mm-hmm. uh, the infamous gubernatorial debate gap where he said, quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. This was a former governor, so basically an incumbent in Virginia in a state that went 10 points to Biden, supposedly, the year right. before. Uh, he lost to Glenn Youngkin, a, a Republican, on the issue of education by six points with education voters. That was the number two issue in the election. And so Republicans have kind of picked up the football and become the parents' party in some places. And uh, the school choice movement has had a lot of victories as well, particularly in red states. We've had nine states, uh, almost 20 percent of the states in the country, going all in on school choice in the past two years uh, meaning all families eligible to take their kids' education funding to the public, private, charter, or homeschool of their choosing. Uh, so we've had a lot of victories, too, particularly in red states. And I think um, this – so school choice is, is popular, obviously, among Republicans, Democrats, and independent voters, even though uh, Democrat politicians who are big hypocrites on the issue send their own kids to private school and then mm-hmm. turn – like Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, and then they turn around and – fight against less advantaged families than the same kind of opportunity. Um, they're, they're this ideology that the kids belong to the government, this, this communist notion that the money that's meant for educating them belongs to the government schools and that parents shouldn't have a say. You have, and also in California, you have a, a lawsuit from the attorney general, Rob Bonta. He's actually fighting so hard to uh, usurp parental rights the most fundamental parental rights to try to keep sexual secrets about children from their parents. This is a, a case at a Chino Unified School District in California. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, they passed a policy. If a kid changes their gender at school, maybe you should inform the parents and be have transparency and and be open and honest with the parents about it. But instead, um, you have the, the, the authoritarians at the state level in California trying to rain down on this district to um, to insert themselves between the parent and the child, and that's not popular with your with your average voter. So it's it's going to cost them votes the more that they lean into this anti-parent rhetoric. I agree, folks. We're on with Dr. Corey D'Angelis. He's a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, and I love the name of the organization because I've always felt like you know the the teachers unions really should be children's unions. You know, teachers obviously have a role in their professional life, but um, who's looking out for the kids, right? It should be the parents, but apparently the teachers union is like the strongest thing ever. So it's good to know there's an American Federation for Children. I want to continue on this topic of um, the lawsuit against um, the school district. And and a similar one happened in New Jersey, uh, in Manalapan, where they did the same thing. So we're going to pick up where we left off. Folks, we're on with Corey D'Angelo, Senior Fellow at the American Federation for Children. If you want to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ is the number. We're coming right back, and we're going to talk about all the crazy that's going on in California. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen. tells you that they're transgender, believe them. A lot of people will say that it's impossible for a four-year-old to know if they're trans or not, but actually that's not true. They can know, and here's why. From day one, gender is baked into everything we do. Either have a boy name or a girl name, boy toys or girl toys, boy clothes or girl clothes. So from an early age, kids understand the difference between boy and girl, and more importantly, which one they're expected to be. So it makes sense that if what they feel inside is different than what they're expected to be, that they might feel uncomfortable, and they might want to talk about that discomfort. And we all know that kids are good at talking about how they feel. For example, mommy, I skinned my knee. Mommy, someone called me a name on the playground. Or even, mommy, I don't like wearing boy clothes. These are all similar feelings of discomfort that we can talk about to our parents. That's not to say that all kids will realize they're transgender when they're little. A lot don't. I didn't until I was 27. But I can't tell you how many people I've met that knew they were trans at four or five years old. So if there's a kid in your life who's telling you they're trans, please believe them. They know what they're talking about and your support might save their life. So that's a crazy TikTok activist uh, saying that, you know, if a four-year-old tells you they're trans, believe them. You know, I once had a, excuse me, four and a half, maybe five at the time, my daughter, and she graduated from preschool and literally in her graduation program, they asked her, what did you want to be when you grow up? And she said, I want to be a doctor and a watermelon. That's a true story of my kid. If your kid tells you that they're a dog, are you going to start letting your kid wear a leash? I mean, this is absolute insanity in my opinion. Uh, folks, our guest uh, is still with us, Corey DeAngelis. He is the senior fellow uh, at the American Federation for Children. And Corey DeAngelis, tell us um, uh, again, we, we were just talking about uh, this, how some school districts have, you know, the parents were involved. They've gotten elected as school board members. They went to the meetings. They had their protests. They were, their voices were heard and they got buy in from the school district to say, yes, if there's a kid that says that they're trans and it's my kid, you're going to let me know. And now you've got state attorneys general that are suing these school districts in order to overthrow their democratic decision. That's right. They're subverting local control. And more importantly, they're subverting the fundamental right of a parent to direct the upbringing of their children. We have Supreme Court precedent on this. I mean, even as ba far back as 1925 in Pierce versus Society of Sisters, where the majority of the court uh, famously ruled that quote, the child is not the mere creature of the state. Well, some people, some of these authoritarians in office in California would be wise to remember those wise words from the court back in 1925. So this isn't going to go well for the Democrats. I mean, it's just a really unpopular policy to, to believe that the kids belong to the government and not their parents. And then more importantly, they're 
they they chose the weirdest hill to die on. I mean, this is about uh, sexual secrets about children from their parents. I mean, it's just it's kind of like I can't believe like in, in 2023 we're at a point in America where you have people in elected uh, positions in office actually choosing this hill to die on. I mean, it's just they're picking on children. They're picking on they're confusing children. They're picking on parents and trying to to wage war on them. But I think it's it's partially because it's a deeply held belief among uh, people in power that that they believe that some parents don't know what's best for their children. They believe that the sure. that the government officials, they're elitist. I mean, they, that the government should decide everything uh, that that you do. They they believe that the government should pick the books for your children. You should be assigned to government schools. That's why they, you can't have school choice, right? Because mm-hmm. it's okay for them to choose their kids' private school because they're smart elitists that, that can figure it out. But the commoners, the masses, no way could they possibly choose their, their child's school. But that, that's a totally backwards point of view. It's bogus. It's garbage because parents know their kids more than, than anybody. They, they care about their kids more than anybody else. They're in the best position with the on-the-ground knowledge to make the decisions for their own kids. There's there's exceptions, obviously, and that's when the government steps in. But they subvert the will of basically all parents from the get-go just because some of them might make the bad decision. I mean, it, it, it's a total invasion of privacy. And uh, you know what? Government officials make bad decisions all the time. <laughs> that's facts. So, Courtney DeAngelis, and I mean this in all sincerity, you're the Ph.D. here, and I think you were – you were generous in, in your response right now saying that they're just elitists and they think they know better. But that's always been the case, right? I think that's been around for a long time. But this movement towards your four-year-old is trans is not old and it's very new. And, and I'm wondering what's changed in, in your best estimation. I, I don't really have an answer other than they're crazy and there's a, an evil push somewhere somehow. Why? I don't know. Uh, all I could think of is if you can get enough people confused, you can kind of lead them all to the government trough. And it's yeah. kind of like a, a soft commie type of push. But um, I, I don't know. What say you? I mean, th- th- there isn't one easy answer, right? There's a lot of things moving over time. But I really think this has been a long-term trend of the Marxists taking over the higher education system, uh, training the future teachers in the uh, in the colleges of education. I mean, I did my PhD right in in an education college mm-hmm. at the University of Arkansas, in that, in, in a, but I had a a small department where I did that PhD called the Department of Education Reform, which was actually pretty ideologically balanced. We had some conservatives and 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 liberals uh, alike, but. That's that's far. That's the except, not the rule. I mean, I don't know of any other department like the the one that I did my PhD. Every everything else is basically. If you go into an ed school, this is ninety nine percent Marxist uh, who 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 really don't like conservatives. And so you have you know a pipeline of teachers basically being indoctrinated in the system of higher education, and then they're being hired by the government school system. And so I think that's been happening for a long time. Um, but I think we're just realizing it more than now than ever. That, that's why more conservatives are running for school board now and winning, and, and why more parents are voting for candidates who, who who vote in favor of parental rights in education, who don't want to keep secrets uh, from them, and who don't want to take their children away for not agreeing with their uh, their child's confusion about their gender uh, identity at a, at a young age, like four or five years old. I mean, most parents know 
that, that this is ridiculous and, and they know that they're in the best position to make decisions for their kids. And I think it's really been the, the school closures and, that were induced by the teachers unions because they were holding children's education hostage to COVID. Yeah. They were trying to get, and they did, they didn't just try. They, they ultimately received $190 billion in so-called COVID relief. Why? Because, you know, they, they were closed and they said, you know, we're, we're closed because we don't have enough money. It, it's always their excuse about everything. We're failing. We don't right. have high test scores because we don't have enough money. But, but look, parents got to see through zoom school, Something wasn't right, and I think that was already happening. Um, but now, uh, more people understand it. They're putting a spotlight on it. You got libs of TikTok uh, sharing this yeah, all over social media. You know this, and, and people are paying more attention than ever. So that's one of the unintended benefits of the school lockdowns and COVID that the teachers unions overplayed their hand. And, and, and it might be that the left has leaned into it further. It certainly is the case that some people in power they think they're. Uh, they've been so drunk on power for so long that they believe that uh, no one can challenge them, particularly if you're in a deep blue state. They said you know, they've quadrupled down on their anti-parent rhetoric. You, you think about Terry McAuliffe, who I mentioned earlier in Virginia, mm-hmm. who ended up ultimately losing to Youngkin, uh, the Republican on education. He, Youngkin was already cutting the negative attack ads against him and putting them on repeat when he said, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. That is, McAuliffe said that. Uh, McAuliffe quadrupled down. He kept gaslighting. He um, even had Randy Weingarten, the most hated union <laughs> official, I would that say, in move. the country right now. She stumped for him the night before the election. And, and a mom actually went on CNN the next day uh, in Virginia and said that was the, quote, nail in the coffin moment for her. So – that, you know, it didn't work out for McAuliffe, but maybe if you're in a deeper blue state, you know, the quadrupling down and gaslighting can work for in the short term, but it's not going to work in the long term. And and one reason I say this, and I have this article up in front of me, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, you know, Vox, it's a lefty outlet. Oh, yeah. One of their senior politics writer at Vox just put out the headline, quote, the conservative push for school choice had its most successful year ever. And if you read through it, it's basically an endorsement of my organization and me as well and how successful we've been over the past couple of years. So even the left is, you know, you talked about a little bit earlier that, you know, maybe the left is gaining steam and and encroaching on our rights. I think they're trying, but even the left is admitting at this point that when it comes to electoral outcomes, it's a political winner to support parental rights for the most part. It doesn't always work, right? Like Gavin Newsom's in office, right? But that, but for the most part, if you look at the statistics, the the people who oppose parental rights are, are facing consequences. You know, Corey DeAngelis, I think you make a good point. And and just to to circle back, because I, I've heard some some commentary that I don't know if there's scholarly research to support it or not. Perhaps you do that the work of Alfred Kinsey and um, Daniel Carlton Gadjasek. And these guys that believe that multi-generational sex was should be normalized was kind of taboo back in the 50s. And, and here, generations later, that this push towards having kids define themselves as trans as early as four years old and whatnot is really a, a push to, to normalize minor attracted persons being accepted in society, uh, being that, you know, you can identify as such because you I mean, can it's identify crazy as anything even- you want. 
it's crazy we even have this term minor like where have we come why are we trying to make pedophiles feel better about themselves right that part of the mm-hmm. the social feedback mechanism to 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 incentivize people to do the right thing and not the wrong thing is to to, to judge people for doing the wrong thing right so um 100%. It, it's it's crazy that that we're at this point and um you know i think I think it's it's really going to backfire on the left in a big way. Another article that came out recently after the midterms, you know, there wasn't really a red wave or a blue wave, but there was a school choice wave. School choice did really well last year, 76% of them winning their races in 2022 as far as candidates uh, nice. running for office at the state level. But um, the New Yorker magazine even put out a quote. The headline was from a lefty that was super upset about how things were going she said, quote, uh, education freedom candidates fared depressingly well in the midterms. So the yeah, more so that the, the left kind of yeah, – I mean the more that the left does this, um, it we should fight against it, right? We should obviously fight against it and uh, also on the Board of Liberty Justice Center. And we just intervened in that case in California where the attorney general is trying to subvert parental rights. Well, you know, I want to talk about that, but I want to do it in the next segment. So I'm going to pause right here, if you don't mind. Folks, we're on with Corey D'Angela, senior fellow at the American Federation for Children. And we're going to get into that California stuff. And I appreciate everything you said, because uh, I, I got to tell you, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm born in Brooklyn, but I live in Jersey. And around here, things are crazy. <laughs> so it's nice to hear that we're having a lot of wins. And uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Corey DeAngelis. He's a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, and he's on the board of Liberty Justice. And they've taken uh, this California nonsense to task. Corey, tell us all about it. Yeah, just a reminder, the uh, California attorney general is uh, trying to subvert the will of parents and take away their most fundamental rights by fighting to keep sexual secrets about their children from them. I mean, it's just totally blasphemy that this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Chino Unified School District passed a policy to notify parents about their child's changing gender at school. I mean, it's a pretty basic policy to, to have transparency. I mean, this is bad in a couple of ways. One, they're trying to keep secrets from parents. But two, the state is also uh, subverting local control. I mean, they're, they're not allowing local school. And Chino is just the first district to do this. There's others as well that may get involved in the case. But they just voted on um, yesterday night, uh, 4-0, the school board at Chino Unified, to partner with my organization I'm, who, where, where I'm on the board called Liberty Justice Center. We're, we're also famously known for the 2018 Supreme Court case that we won, uh, the, the Janus uh, Supreme Court case against um public sector unions not allowing mm. them to uh, compel members to, to pay dues because it was infringing on their free speech rights. Uh, so basically every every state, in a sense, is kind of like a, a right-to-work because of that victory. 
uh, from Liberty Justice Center. Now we expect to win in California, too, and we're standing on the side of parents. And I'm, I'm glad that Chino Unified uh, uh, overwhelmingly 4-0 voted to, to partner with us. Outstanding. So what, what do you think the next step is? Because, I mean, I know they've got this new rule where they're saying uh, kids could become ward of the state. And I, I remember a couple of months ago there was some talk about this when it was in the California Assembly when they were saying that, you know, uh, a guidance counselor could, in effect, say, um, I don't know if they ended up doing it, but they said the kid could say, oh, I'm trans. And they could say, okay, do you want to go home today? You don't have to go home today. And they could, like, take custody of these kids. And it's kind of crazy what they're even considering. I mean, it's insane. And and they, these people who like big government policies operate from the assumption that government is perfect and benevolent and they can never make bad decisions. It happens all the time. And so CPS officials even can make bad decisions. So like, yeah, who gets to choose who's in the best position to make the choice? It's obviously the parent. They love their kids more than anybody else. And, you know, uh, that, that bill in California to make children wards of the state, I think it still relies on uh, Gavin Newsom's signature. Uh, if he signs that into law, he'll basically be signing his chances at president away if he ever decides mm. to do so. And it seems like he's kind of toying around with that idea. With that, that idea, and this will be cut as a naked campaign ag- against Gavin Newsom nonstop. I mean, and the policy is just ridiculous, right? If you're in a custody dispute, they shouldn't take into account whether you're. Uh, affirming the, a, a young child's gender as, as, as to whether you're going to get the kid or not, whether the, the, the dad or mom is going to get custody Crazy. of the kid. I mean, you can make the opposite argument, right, that if you are confusing your child by saying they're the wrong gender at a very young age, maybe you should be less likely to get the child. I mean, it could go both ways, but <laughs> right. if anything, they shouldn't, they shouldn't uh, take that into consideration. Corey DeAngelis, let everybody know how they could follow the amazing work that you guys are doing. You can follow me at DeAngelis Corey on Twitter, which is now called X. Thank goodness for Elon Musk. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's at DeAngelis Corey. I do a lot of updates there. But you could also help us in the fight for education freedom by signing the Education Freedom Pledge. And the way that you do that is educationfreedompledge.com. Or for short, you can just do edfreedompledge.com. Fantastic. Check them out at edfreedompledge.com. Corey DeAngelis, I want to thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for staying up late. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. Folks, we're coming right back with your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So busy day today here on the show. We've got, of course, the impeachment inquiry into Joe El Baboso Biden. And uh, we also have a whistleblower that says that the CIA and officials within the CIA were paid to change the view that COVID originated in a Wuhan lab. The allegations, which stemmed from a seemingly credible source, quote unquote, require Congress to investigate how the CIA handled its investigation into COVID's origins, according to lawmakers. Now, this is according to uh, justthenews.com. And what I find interesting is, why on earth is the CIA investigating the Wuhan stuff? And I guess there's a legitimate reason somewhere. But I wouldn't have... um, I wouldn't have imagined that that CIA would be the, you know, our spy agency would not be the investigatory agency leading the the charge on this. 
But most of the officers on the CIA's COVID discovery team concluded that the coronavirus originated from a laboratory in Wuhan, but they changed their positions after receiving a monetary incentive. And that's according to a senior level CIA agent in his testimony to Congress. So the, this whistleblower now informs that the coronavirus pandemic subcommittee um, and the intelligence committee that this is what happened at the end of the CIA's COVID review. And six of the seven members of the team believed that there was enough evidence to say it came from the Wuhan lab, but they ended up changing their minds after there was a little bit of a monetary incentive. We'll talk about that a little bit more later, but right now we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you this Tuesday evening. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337. And Speaker McCarthy announced today that he was commencing an impeachment inquiry to Joe Biden. Check this out. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. Now, the public has lots of questions, right? And, and I'm sure that the, the committees are going to continue to unsurface lots of information on that. But this isn't the only one of Biden's problems, right? Biden has a bunch of problems, whether it's the border, uh, inflation, the economy, uh, as well as all these new stories that are coming out, right? A new story came out today about the CIA whistleblowers saying that they believe that Wuhan started in, uh, I mean, COVID started in a Wuhan lab. And uh, that doesn't look good for Biden. And then there was a story a couple of days ago, I think we talked about it briefly on Friday, where an appeals court ruled that the government likely violated the First Amendment rights of Americans in their vaccine misinformation campaign. And, and I think this is a big deal. Like, it's a big deal when, when a federal court says, hey, you're violating the Constitution. You, you can't do that. So I want to get to the bottom of that and uh, the Missouri uh, versus Biden decision with Mark Chenoweth. He's uh, the president and general counsel at New Civil Liberties Alliance. Mark Chenoweth, welcome, sir. Good to be with you, Rich. You bet. So let's let's dig into this. T tell us about the, the case, how it came about, and, uh, of course, we'll get into some of your analysis on it as well. Sure. Well, the case came about originally the attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana uh, filed suit against the, the Biden administration because they recognized that uh, what was happening not only to their own uh, social media posts, but also to the social media posts of folks in their jurisdictions, was that they were being, uh, you know, they were being 
um, reduced in different kinds of ways. They were being either deplatformed, you had folks getting thrown off, or uh, or you had folks who who were getting throttled, or all these other terminologies that are used mm-hmm. to basically ways of censorship. And I think folks originally thought this was happening as a result of the private conduct of the of the various social media platforms. Uh, but uh, I think the attorneys general had an inkling that maybe there was some state action behind this uh, as well. And the new Civil Liberties Alliance got involved because there were several private plaintiffs uh, that were uh, interested in being part of the lawsuit as well. The state AGs couldn't represent uh, uh, private plaintiffs. And so the new Civil Liberties Alliance had a, we had a different lawsuit that we had been working on that was somewhat similar. And so they immediately thought of us to come into this lawsuit and join them in the lawsuit against the federal government. So we represent doctors Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Koldorf, Aaron Cariotti, and Ms. Jill Hines uh, in the Missouri v. Biden uh, lawsuit. Now, break it down, because I think some of the headlines can be a little misleading, saying that, you know, the government likely violated um, the, the First Amendment rights of, of end users. How do, is it likely? Did they do it? Did they not? I, I'm not sure how to come down on that. Sure. So the reason why some of the news articles talk about the likelihood is because this is at the preliminary injunction stage. And so the legal question that you have to establish in order to get an injunction is you have to prove that uh, that the government more likely than not was guilty of this conduct. And so that's why they talk about it in terms of, of likelihood. But, but both the district court uh, and the, the Court of Appeals looked at the evidence and said, look, the evidence shows, uh, and, and the district court was even stronger in this, but even at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, the evidence shows that the government was censoring people. And in other words, uh, not it wasn't the ind- independent actions of Facebook and Twitter and other social media platforms. It was the government reaching out to these social media platforms and telling them, hey, you need to take that down. And when they didn't take it down, calling back and saying, hey, I thought we told you to take that down. And when they still didn't take it down in one or two cases, saying, you know, getting really angry with them and saying, what's it going to do? You know, what are, what's it going to take to get you to take this down kind of thing? And it was very coercive uh, kinds of actions on the part of uh, certain folks at the White House, like Rob Flaherty, uh, certain folks at the, at the Centers for Disease Control, the U.S. Surgeon General, uh, even Jen Psaki uh, from the, you know, from the uh, from the podium there at the White House, there was lots of uh, of this sort of legal terminology, significant encouragement uh, hmm. toward the toward the platforms to take down certain kinds of things they didn't like. So, what type of relief are you seeking? We've had uh, Dr. Bhattacharya on the show; he's terrific and has told us his story of how they, you know, kind of wiped him out. And yeah. and obviously not the same situation, but the same situation in many ways. Um, what 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 happens now? I mean, they can't turn back the hands of time. I guess they could say, yeah, they were wrong. But is there uh, how do we punish the bad guys? Well, that's a that's a good question, Rich. And and in terms of punishing the government, it's hard to do. Uh, but what we can do uh, is we can get an injunction that prevents them from doing it again. And so that's what the form of relief that's being sought here is to, to essentially put them on notice uh, that your conduct is unconstitutional. You can't do this. 
Uh, and then if they try to seek, uh, you know, if they try to hide behind immunity in the future, it'll be a lot harder for them to do that because there will already be a court uh, ruling uh, saying that your conduct is unconstitutional. You've been put on notice. And so if they continue to do it, then there's an opportunity to potentially go after some of these individuals, uh, not in their official capacity, which this lawsuit does, but to go after them in their individual capacity uh, for the illegality that they're in, involved in. And so that's what that's the point of this lawsuit is to hopefully put them on notice, get them to stop their illegal conduct. Makes sense. And I got a couple of follow-up questions, but I'm going to hold them for right after the break so that uh, we can take a quick pause here and give out the phone number. So, folks, uh, I want to remind you that we're on with Mark Chenoweth. He's the president and general counsel for New Civil Liberties Alliance. And our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So on Friday, a U.S. appeals court ruled that several government entities, including the White House, the FBI, the Surgeon General, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention likely violated the First Amendment by pressuring social media companies to moderate their content on what they called misinformation regarding vaccines. This decision on Friday is from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, saying that the government actors, quote, likely coerced or encouraged, end quote, social media companies to moderate their content, affirming a decision by a lower court with respect to the White House, the FBI, the CDC, and the Surgeon General. That's reported in The Hill. And my my question for our guest, and our guest, by the way, is Mark Chenoweth. He's the uh, general counsel and president at New Civil Liberties Alliance. And my question is, and you, you kind of alluded to it, which was, if you succeed, and it seems like you will, the judges are like, yeah, these guys are out of control. No problem. It's on the record. Don't do it again. Uh, and potentially go after these other people civilly. Does this not mean it means nothing, right, for the actual social media companies? Right. So uh, we didn't sue the social media companies uh, themselves, and the court recognized that the plaintiffs weren't challenging the social media platforms' content moderation policies because uh, if they're truly acting on their own, then you know the First Amendment doesn't apply to them. They don't. They don't have to. Right, they're private. They're private, uh, and but. Uh, that's not what was happening. They weren't acting on their own. Here we had the government's unlawful efforts influencing the enforcement of those policies, and the, that's what the court was was very keen uh, to pick up on. And in fact, uh, you know, Judge Dowdy called this arguably the most massive attack against free speech in United States history, and akin to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. So if that doesn't get your attention, you know, I don't know what will. This is this is a very serious 
violation, systematic violation of the First Amendment being perpetrated uh, by the Biden administration in a coordinated censorship campaign against the American people. And they were doing it because they didn't like what people like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya were saying uh, about COVID. They didn't like what some other people were saying about the Hunter Biden laptop. There were just certain topics that they wanted to shut people up on, and they did so. Yeah, and the reason I ask about the social media companies is because when the Twitter files were released uh, through um, Matt Taibbi, the the um, the sense I got was that there was a, a lot of incestuous relationships, and by that I mean a lot of government people that left government and went right into social media to work yeah, as their general counsel and whatnot. So I feel like, you know, okay, so you, you slap on the wrist uh, at the White House, but then you still have this, some of these same actors that are in the same place, and I'm asking for my own uh, point of personal privilege. I, I, I shared a Hunter Biden story on Instagram about a week ago, maybe 10 days. And Instagram was like, you can't share that. And it was like an article in in, a, in Breitbart News. And, and I thought and I, I complained and they restored my access. I think I think I'm still being like shadow banned or whatnot. But but the right. point is, how do we stop them or, or can we? Yeah, great question, Rich. And it's it's going to be more difficult to stop these companies. In some cases, there may be opportunities to do it with uh, with litigation if they're violating the contractual terms that they have uh, with the folks who use uh, those platforms. In in other cases, we may have to switch to other platforms that are willing to honor folks' uh, First Amendment uh, rights. And then there may be some legislative solutions as well. You already have jurisdictions like Texas that have uh, talked about um, uh, you know, saying, look, you, you, they're not going to allow these companies uh, to censor this kind of information on, on any kind of discriminatory uh, basis. And we may need a, a sort of new civil rights legislation that doesn't allow companies to discriminate uh, based, on, based on viewpoint. But we're not there yet. And frankly, I'd like to see how these companies behave when the government isn't in their business and threatening them all day long. Yeah, and that's a good point. And that's something I've thought about long and hard. I, I worked in government once, and I was um, I was uh, treated differently because of my political views. And I remember um, I didn't have a lot of options. I tried to talk my way out of it, and eventually I just went and I said, these people are just treating me the wrong way. And they were like, were they doing it based on race or this or that? And they were like, nope, nope, politics isn't a protected category, so you're on your own. Right, right. And, and, and I, I always, it always stuck with me that I think that would be the fix here for really uh, allowing the First Amendment to flourish is, is to include a viewpoint in, 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 that, in those protected categories. What's the likelihood or reality of something like that happening? Well, I don't know that there's a likelihood of it at the federal level anytime soon, but that may not be necessary. If there's just a couple of states out there that are willing, and Texas has been taking a lead on this so far, uh, to to say, look, companies, you can't treat our citizens this way. You can't operate in our space. You know, you're the new public square. You're you're a kind of uh, of uh, of utility or a, a common carrier of sorts. And just as we don't allow uh, hotels, for example, to discriminate and say uh, on the basis uh, of race or or what have you, uh, you, know, you can't discriminate against the content on, on your site for these uh, forbidden reasons. And uh, you know, that's not to say that they wouldn't continue to have control over most of what's 
up there, but if they're going to choose to moderate what's on, on their site, they can't do so in a discriminatory way. Uh, but I just want to stress again, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's the problem because we've seen, the, Rich, the, the, the vast network, uh, just 17 different agencies were involved here in terms of wow. suppressing or reducing uh, speech Massive. in a very coordinated way. And you know, the, the Fifth Circuit upheld a, a preliminary injunction against uh, a handful of those. Uh, and, and let's see what happens now. I think, I think the Twitter files were very helpful in exposing this. Uh, this lawsuit has been helpful in exposing the extent of what's going on here. And I think if we can get the government to back off and stop violating people's First Amendment rights, then that will create the space for the companies to do the right thing, and then we'll see whether they do or not. Right, and I guess it also allows them to to compete, right, if there's Truth Social and Rumble and other platforms that are willing to, to take free speech for what it's worth and people start to make those decisions to go with one versus the other, they may decide to say, all right, let's be more competitive and, and you know, be respectful of free speech. So that's a possibility. I, I just have very little faith when it comes to some of these companies. Now, I want to know a little bit more uh, about the organization, uh, New Civil Liberties Alliance, the one where you are the general counsel and president. This is a great case and, and amazing work that you're doing. What, what else are you guys up to? Oh gosh, we're we're suing the government on so many different uh, uh, topic areas. We have uh, we have lawsuits against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau over the unlawful way uh, in which that agency is is funded through the Federal Reserve. Uh, we have a lawsuit uh, against the National uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uh, uh, and the National Marine Fisheries Service over its effort to try to force. Uh, boats in the Atlantic Ocean to pay for at-sea monitors. So it's, it's almost like having to pay for a cop to ride alongside you in your car to write you tickets for speeding. It's a, <laughs> it's a you know, very weird uh, situation uh, with that uh, particular agency. We have a lawsuit against the uh, uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms over the bump stock uh, ban uh, that was actually put into effect originally during the Trump administration. Uh, where they're trying to pretend that bump stocks are machine guns, which they're not. And our particular concern with that is you can't have federal agencies rewriting statutes that Congress wrote. That, that's Congress's job. And right. so we're, you know, we're suing uh, the ATF uh, over that. But, but really, the, uh, we're six years old this month at the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Happy we were birthday. Founded Thank you. We were founded by Philip Hamburger, who's a law professor uh, up there in New York City and, and at Columbia uh, Law School. And uh, you know, our goal is to put constitutional guardrails around the actions of these federal agencies. Uh, so when they do things like try to force you to go through an administrative proceeding instead of going against you in federal court, and they take away your jury trial rights and they take away all the due process that you would ordinarily have uh, in a you know, in a, in a real court, then we're suing to stop that. We're saying, look, if Good. an agency wants to enforce something against you, it has to do so in a real court with a real jury and so forth. Let everybody know the website really quick, Mark. Sure. NCLALegal.org. NCLALegal.org. Folks, Mark Chenoweth, president at NCALegal.org. Check them out. Support them. Do what you can. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come.
congratulations on just an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And there's a shortage of mental health services for teens forcing parents to take desperate measures. That's the headline from PBS. And the COVID-19 pandemic revealed that there was a lot of strain on mental health for young people, mainly because more people were depressed or anxious or whatever and what have you. And I think it's a supply and demand issue, to be quite frank. But it it's still a problem that continues. And I want you to hear a clip from this report. The goal of inpatient residential programs is to provide intensive treatment so that kids can return home. A 2007 study found the average length of stay varies by program from less than two months to more than two years. Children are children. They are developmentally, physiologically, psychologically very different. Dr. Perva Grover chairs pediatric emergency medicine at Cleveland Clinic. She says more families are showing up in ERs because the supply of specialized mental health services has not kept up with demand. We are not psychiatrists. We are not the specialists of mental health and and the long-term consequences, treatment diagnoses. We are simply what we call crisis management. Last year, 42 states had a severe shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists. Nationwide, the number of residential treatment facilities for children fell 30 percent from 2012 to 2020. You know, September is Suicide Prevention Month. And when you see that there is a shortage of mental health services for teens or anybody else, quite frankly, it, it's a um, it's a concern because that's how you get to, to that to that level where you hurt yourself is when you don't have the, that access. I shouldn't say the access, but when you don't realize you have a mental health issue and then if you do realize it and you don't get the help you need in the right time frame. So I wanted to talk about this with a frequent flyer on our program. One of my favorites, uh, Jill Robin Payne. She's a psychotherapist and an author, and she's with us right now. Jill Robin Payne, welcome. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. This is my therapy time. I love it. I'm already, I got my feet up on the couch. Okay. So uh, let's, let's dig into this a little bit, because I know that this is okay. something we've actually talked about a little bit in the past, uh, which is uh, not having enough um, mental health professionals available to kind of meet the demand. And, uh, right. and I hear it from a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people, I know people that are like, hey, I tried this app and the person on the apps wasn't really good for me. So I went with somebody else, uh, but I couldn't get an appointment with somebody else because they were booked and they're not taking new people. And it, it just seems to be an ongoing thing. And and uh, from your perspective, as somebody that's in practice as a psychotherapist, uh, how does it look for right. you? Uh, that That is what's going on. Uh, and a lot, of course, was contributed uh, or exacerbated because of COVID-19. But it's been happening in the last uh, 10, 20 years and, uh, and, and so it's really good if you want to be a psychotherapist, that's the thing to be because you will never be without clients. Um, so what really needs to happen, and we need to get more involved with our community, because I was really thinking about this, and there's a big disconnect in our world. And so I was talking to just friends, and when we were younger, I'm not going to tell you my age, Rich, but you could keep 35. Your door, <laughs> you could keep your door unlocked. It didn't matter what ethnicity you were, where you lived, uh, what city you lived in uh, 30, 40 years ago. 
uh, actually more, <laughs> 50 years ago, uh, you could leave your door unlocked and your neighbor would watch it. Right. And, and communities took care of their own. And so that's what's happening. And to me, that's where we really need to start and in our communities. And instead of doing things online, I've got clients coming to me, Rich, and they'll say, Joe, I'm coming to you because I can see you in your office. I was seeing this uh, person online. It just didn't do it. I was seeing this person on this app. It just wasn't doing it. And so a lot of the kids, they really want more face-to-face. And there is a shortage because people found out that during COVID, you could just stay home and do Zoom or, you know, telehealth. And, um, and, and that's what's happening. So there's a disconnect and we just need to get more connected. Be proactive. Well- I love I love your enthusiasm, but I think it, this is a monumentous challenge, right? I think it, it yeah. uh, first of all, I think it's important, just like me right now with my feet up on the leather couch. I think most people want to have that. That I guess there's some people that are busy that want to do a phone call or would prefer some face-to-face video action. But I, I could imagine somebody saying, you know, I'm, I'm stressed out, had a crazy week, can't wait to see my therapist, and I don't want to do it from my car. Or, you know, from my living room where my house is going upside down and my dog's running over here, you know. So I could see how people find a reprieve in in that moment. But the other part of it is the big part. This is the monumentous challenge. That part isn't. How do we get people to care again? Right? Because I don't think people care anymore. I think there's – and it's not even a generational thing, although it might be. I think there's just a a number of people that want to go through life passing by people – not looking at them, not saying hello, getting on the elevator, ignoring the fact that there's other humans on the elevator next to you and just minding their own business. And I happen to be one of them, honestly, (laughs) in most of my life, I'll have some conversations, but you know, I don't really get chummy with neighbors. I'm just like, Hey, hi and bye, take care. I'm I'm not that close. And so I'm, I'm part of the problem and part of the generation where we've become just a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say isolated, but um, that's me. You know, I never really been that chummy with my neighbors. I have one really good neighbor where I live now, two, but one I'm just cordial with, and the other one I've I've been over their place like once or twice for a barbecue. But I I, I keep a lot of distance, and and I just uh, and just because I do, not because I don't like them. I just happen to be that way, and I think there's a lot of people that are like that, and it seems to be the new trend, right? I think rude is the new normal, and and uh, maybe it's a New York thing. But how do we how do we address that. So that's really interesting that you asked me that question. I was out with my son, who's a doctor, and he asked me the same thing. He's 32. And he said, you know, mom, uh, we're going out shopping and being with people. But a lot of the young kids, they don't know that this is fun. They don't know that it's fun to go out and physically go do things. And so he asked me, mom, how can you get people motivated that are young and don't know the difference how it is. And so I don't know if you saw the movie Barbie, you probably didn't, but I I said to him, (laughs) so I said to him, I said, movies are one way to really get kids motivated. And, and Barbie did it. Barbie had, Mm -hmm. if you, if you saw it, it was really, I I thought it was sort of ironic because they had big words like uh, cognitive dissonance and they had an existential crisis I mean, big words like that, and they had, uh, it just had a really good message, not just for the young girls, for the men, about being more empathetic, even with the, the people in the movie. So that's one way. The other is we need to model the behavior. So just like you were saying, you're so busy, 
we, we ourselves need to take time and model the behavior that we want exhibited because there is a decrease in empathy. They've already done studies on that. And it's because we're inundated. We're 24-7. Rich, we are uh, social media, gaming, news. It doesn't turn off. And so we turn off and then we disconnect. And so that's what's happening. Folks, we're on with Jill Robin Payne. She says we need to get back to community. I agree with her, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, the Barbie movie might be the fix for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we do we do need to work on that. Uh, if you want to join us, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So colleges are making Gen Z mental health crises worse than they need to be by adding trigger warnings. This is according to the New York Post. Uh, colleges are being rocked by an unprecedented mental health crisis. Suicides across American campuses now exceed 1,000 per year making them the second leading cause of death for college students. Nearly three in four student, uh, student affairs officials say that campus mental health has worsened in the last year. And according to the article here, it says it's no wonder that these kids are t- taking in hordes of depressed 18 to 22-year-olds, and they're so desperate to do something about it. But there's a big problem. Administrators are pandering to attempts to protect students' mental well-being and are often making matters worse by creating safe spaces, trigger warnings, and speech codes, which are regular strategies that they use to, quote-unquote, protect students from harm. Now, my question here is, in doing this, are we creating young people that are softer? Uh, Should we be trying to create people that are more resilient, or is that just me being a, uh, uh, a mean Gen Xer? Jill Robin Payne. And I'm I'm going to agree with you. There's a, it, it's where when you're raising a kid, you want to teach them how to do things so that they can be independent. So if I am raising a child and I tie his shoe and I keep tying his shoe and he's 18 years old and he goes, Mom, I want to tie my shoe. No, 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 honey, I know best. I'm going to tie your shoe. Then I kick him out to the curb at 18. He's not going to know how to tie his shoe. So Mm -hmm. what's happening here is you don't really want to coddle people. You want to know that they're, you know, give them support. Do what I do when my clients come in. We we focus on their strength. I I focus on what they succeed in, uh, the positives in them, and then we build on that. Um, And so what we what you focus on, you bring about. So if I talk about 
if I say to you, oh, you you poor thing, uh, you just, you don't, you don't, I don't think you're strong enough to do this. You're, you're very fragile. Then you're going to believe those words. It's called self-fulfilling prophecy. You can look it up. They've done studies on it. If I say that person's a booger, he's going to be a booger. So hmm. you want to... Well, you, you want to speak it into existence. It's even in the Bible, speak it, therefore it is. So we really need to watch our words. And that's another thing with social media. People are just talking and, and not really listening to what they're saying out there. And I think we need to be more cognizant of what we say. I need to do that with my husband. I need to be more cognizant when I talk to him. And so well, when uh, you're talking about what you're seeing on social media, give us an example. Well, um, I see a lot of information like narcissistic behavior, and mm. uh, and so people may have some narcissistic tendencies. Doesn't mean they're a narcissist. And so there's they go to extremes. I see on social media, and you can't even really be yourself. So I'm on it, and I like to say, "Hi, welcome to my office." No, you can't do that. You just get right down to the point. And you're really not yourself on social media. And so it's, it's teaching kids to not be human. It's, it's just to be, get things done quickly, uh, get right to the point. Well, that's not life. Life is you do small talk, you get to know people, it takes time. And so on social media, it's teaching people, no, we don't have time. You've got to get right here, and it's got to be this. And, and if I live like that, I'm going to get anxious. And I think it's just promoting uh, people to, be, to, to not know really how to act when they're with people in real life. You know, I, I got a... Um... Uh, one of these um, social media things that you're talking about. Somebody sent it to me today. Um, yeah, and and it, I, it was as a joke, but it, it's it's oh. real. <laughs> and yeah, listen right. to this. It says, how to be a mom in 2023. Make sure your children's right. academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, underestimate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free <sighs> processed foods free, plastic free, body positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing, but fostering of independent manner, gently, but not overly permissive, pesticide free, uh, two story multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard. And don't forget the coconut oil. <laughs> and I thought, you know, really? there, and that's the internet, right? That's, that's social media. Yeah. I think that's exactly yeah. what you're saying, where people are getting yeah. all this information. They're trying to be all things to all people. And then young people right. see that. And even I see that. I see stuff all the time with these shrinks that right. are on, um, on social media. And some of them make a ton of sense. And then there's others that aren't shrinks that think they are, and they're just giving out all this life advice on relationships and everything else. And people start to like self-diagnose based on all of this stuff. And we did a story on this recently about people diagnosing themselves or others off of TikTok. And, and I thought, that's a problem. That is a problem. Uh, I had a client of mine. Well, I shouldn't say that. Anyway, people will tell me that their uh, significant others will send them things that are from TikTok or Instagram, and 50% of it is okay, and the other 50% of it is what are they talking about? But just you telling me what you just said to me, 
stressed me out. And I'm, I'm a mom. I'm thinking I mean, what you just said put pressure on me. And that's what's going on. I don't know if you remember Twiggy, but Twiggy was yeah. nice and skinny. Okay, she was nice and skinny, and she put pressure on the little kids to be skinny. But she wasn't all over the Internet 24-7. If I had right. to look at her 24-7, that would get me to feel insignificant. It would affect me in some way. And so or that's I'd, what's going on. I might on. just want to buy her a meal and think she's hungry. She was awful skinny, wasn't she? <laughs> uh, Joe Robin Payne, stand by. We're going to take a quick pause here. Then we're going to come back. We've got some calls that, uh, that uh, need to be addressed by our uh, therapist in residence, Jill Robin Payne. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Jill Robin Payne. Our phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Chuck in Rochester, Minnesota, K-R-O-C. Chuck, go right ahead quickly. Hey, I was just calling to say I went to school for uh, child psychology. I went and got a degree focused on early childhood development. Mm -hmm. And right before I went and got to a point where I could start going and actually helping kids, they changed the rules in Minnesota. So I needed to have a uh, master's degree to go and do a job that was only going to pay me $20,000 a year. Wow. You know, Chuck, this has been a, a thing I've seen for, for years. And even people with master's degrees, like in social work, MSWs, uh, they've historically been um, poorly paid. And, and it's unfortunate, but that's the case. Now, Jill Robin Payne, um, in, in the time that we have remaining, yeah, I want you to... to um, to give Chuck some advice and uh, to let everybody know how they can follow you and uh, keep up to speed with everything you're doing. Oh, okay. Uh, for Chuck, if you have a master's and then you get your license, you can go ahead and start your own practice and uh, work for somebody else, contract them, contract with them as you're starting your own practice and you will make more money than 20,000 a year. Uh, and uh, as for me, I will be on Spectrum News in Austin, October 6th at 9 a.m., talking about uh, my Bempathy book. And you can find me online at just Jill Robin Payne or JillRobinPayne.com. Now, Jill Robin Payne, tell everybody how they can get a copy of your book. Oh, well, just go to Amazon and just put Bempathy, which is Banter with Empathy, and it'll come up and they can get it. All right. Well, thank you, Chuck. And Jill Robin Payne, I want to thank you because you always do such a great job. And uh, I always glean a lot of things from this, from our conversations. I always leave with like a little list of things where I go, oh, man, I got to do better here. Oh, I got to you know, As I'm here criticizing the colleges for coddling kids, I'm thinking, I wonder if I've done that to my kids. You know, do I have to be tougher? Maybe I was too tough. I don't know. Back to the leather couch for me. Jill Robin Payne, you're uh, a gentlewoman, a scholar and a patriot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rich. Bye. All right, take care. All right, folks, Open Phone America is coming up next. You know the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Keep it locked right here. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. The United Nations has pronounced the United States-Mexico border as the world's most deadliest crossing for migrants. Now, this, of course, comes on the heels of Alejandro Mayorkas, the um, Secretary of Homeland Security, saying, no, no, no. We, we've got everything under control. Listen to this. And Mr. Secretary, the mayor has somewhat clarified his comments, but not walked them back by any means. What is, what's your response to those comments? I would, say the, I would say the following. First and foremost, we're dealing with a broken immigration system, a fact about which everyone agrees. It is one of the rare things about which there's unanimity of views. And we need Congress to act. No- Now, isn't it his job to fix the broken immigration system? Isn't he the secretary of Homeland Security overseeing Customs and Border Patrol and uh, uh, United States uh, Customs and uh, Immigration Services, USCIS? Isn't that his job? I mean, the gall on this guy. Go ahead. Number one. Number two, within that broken immigration system, we are challenged by an unprecedented level of displacement in the Western Hemisphere of historic proportions. We have responded with a model approach that has proven to work, which is to build lawful pathways for individuals to arrive in a safe and orderly way and to deliver consequences for those who don't meet them. We are working very closely with the city of New York. We sent an assessment team here that devised approximately 25 recommendations. We are executing on those recommendations. We will address this together. A safe and orderly way. Well, the U.N. says this is the deadliest crossing ever. Uh, Tuesday, they were declared, uh, the U.N. declared the U.S.-Mexico border as the most lethal land crossing in the world, adding another grim superlative to President Biden's immigration record. The International Organization for Migration, the United Nations uh, Immigration Watchdog, uh, they tallied 686 deaths and disappearances last year and said that's probably an undercount because many deaths go unreported. Of course, what are you going to do? Go to the cartel, the, the coyotes, and ask? So far this year, we're over 500 deaths already. Unbelievable. And there's hundreds that die in the Caribbean just trying to get to the U.S., This is absolute crazy talk from Alejandro Mayorkas. And again, I don't always take what the U.N. says very seriously. We've we've heard everything they had to say about COVID and masks. And now through lawsuits and uh, testimony in Congress, we're finding out half of what they told us wasn't even true. Right. So the conspiracy theorists were right. And Alejandro Mayorkas is wrong. Anyway, I want to get to your calls in a moment. I just wanted to outline a couple of things that I want to talk about tonight before I forget. Of course, Joel Baboso Biden has been 
um, green-lighted for an impeachment inquiry by Speaker McCarthy. Speaker of the House says we're going to look into what Joe El Baboso Biden uh, has been doing. And I think we have a clip of that audio. Listen to this. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. It's exactly what we want to know. The answers. The answers is what everybody wants to know, right? Everybody wants to know the answers. And uh, we're going to get to that as well with your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. I also want to do a little update on something we talked about yesterday because yesterday we discussed how New Mexico Governor uh, Lujan Grisham was um, suspending the Second Amendment in New Mexico, uh, telling people they could not carry a concealed weapon. We're talking about law-abiding people that are you know, licensed gun owners, that they could not do this, and doing it for the sake of saying that they've had hundreds of deaths uh, because of what they call a word that I don't believe in. I just want to put this out there. I don't believe in the word gun violence. This is not a word in my lexicon. Guns aren't violent. And I know most of you listening to this already know that. Guns don't do anything. It's people that do things. Evil people that do things. And when when we have these these false narratives where it just becomes a, a, a common everyday word that they'll push through the media, they'll push through social media, they'll push through whatever means they can to make it seem like it's the evil gun. And then when I say something like it's not, you know, it's people that kill people, not guns that kill people, they'll say, well, you know what? If those people couldn't get guns, they wouldn't kill people, right? Do you really believe that? Do you really think, you know, there's a big city uh, in, in, every, in every state. You know, you got New York City and New York, you got Newark, New Jersey and New Jersey, you got San Francisco. Do you think the people that are committing murders there, even for a fraction of a millisecond, go, oh, but you know, it's, it's illegal to use guns to kill people. You know, you're not allowed to do that. Do you think the bad guys give a damn about what laws we have? The only person getting hurt by these stupid laws are the innocent people that are going to be unarmed when a bad guy who has an illegal gun comes to get him. Or in the case of uh, many school shooters, some psycho that was able to acquire a gun has a gun. And as much as I have empathy for those things, there's no way in, in hell that I'll ever say, I'm going to sacrifice my right to have a gun to protect my family, to do what I've got to do to protect myself from my government because there's a psycho that misuses a firearm. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. That's not going to fix the problem because bad people do bad things. And just because a bad person may have gotten through a mental health screening or just because a bad person was able to to buy a gun legally – doesn't change the fact that they're a bad person. That doesn't make me a bad person. Doesn't make you a bad person. Makes them a bad person. And again, I I know I'm giving a Kamala Harris-like speech over here, um, but this is what happens. So we have an update on on the the Grisham thing as well. Now let's go to the phones. Uh, Where do I want to go first? Right here, first caller up, Paul in Boise, Idaho, KBOI. Go right ahead, Paul. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Rick. Yes, sir. I uh, I think this impeachment inquiry has been a long time coming. And, I, and it's not just the monetary ones and, and giving special favors for money 
and the decisions that were made by Biden when he was vice president. But if you look at his administration and what's transpired since he's become president, there's a lot there that needs to be looked at scrutiny-wise. And I, I agree with what you were talking about as far as Homeland Security and and um, Mayorkas is concerned. That's, that guy needs to be impeached. Um, I don't know how many times I've seen him lie in front of Congress about how the border's closed and nobody's coming over the border. I don't know how many times I've heard him say that. And that's a start. But when it comes to the inquiry for Joe, they're going to have a little bit of work left to do, but I believe they're going to have what's necessary to follow through with what their inquiry is about. And, and that's giving special preferential treatment for money that is paid to the Biden crime family. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I grew up watching the Watergate on television when right. I was a 12-year-old kid. Like I got off the school bus, and Mom sat me down and said, this is what we're doing for homework today. We're watching this. And I remember watching that in the 1970s, early 70s. And, you know, it, it pains my heart to see a president, the man that's given all of us free peoples the opportunity to be free, but then to treat us the way he's treating us is beyond reproach. I, I just I can't believe that he's, he's even attempted to get away with what he's, he's gotten away with. I'm with you, Paul. I can't believe that we've actually allowed this to go on as long as it has. And I'm glad you're bringing that up and you're providing some historical context here because it's 100 percent right. Biden should have been impeached, in my opinion, in his first year uh, because of what he did at the border. And the fact that now the United Nations is saying that we have the, the most deadly border crossing on the planet. If we can't pay attention to that, the fact that people are dying at the border and there's a whole lot of trafficking of women and children. I mean, what what are we paying attention to? How how do we just turn a blind eye to that time and again? That alone should be the basis for his impeachment. Thank you, Paul. In Boise, Idaho, K-B-O-I. Folks, we're going to continue with your call straight ahead. And remember, uh, the topics that we're going to discuss tonight, uh, not only the impeachment, but the uh, New Mexico governor... Uh, They've turned on her. The cops said, we're not doing it. The mayor said, we're not doing it. Nobody's enforcing her silly law. There was actually a big protest there, and everybody was um, packing heat. So uh, kudos to the New Mexicans for standing up to their tyrannical, crazy governor. And, uh, of course, there's a couple of other stories that I want to jump into. So give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. This 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. The panel contends that it has evidence that Dr. Anthony Fauci tried to curb discussion that a lab leak sparked the pandemic. Subcommittee Chairman Brad Wenstrup obtained messages from Fauci Deputy David Morins writing, quote, Tony doesn't want his fingerprints on origin stories. What would be the reason for not having a scientific debate, for wanting to squash one of the potential theories that, that exist? Fauci has historically pushed back against the lab leak theory. The evidence very strongly, very strongly points to this being a natural occurrence of a jump from an animal species to a human. But other scientists accuse Fauci of scientific spin. The conspiracy here really was on the other side, which was to really get a single narrative to support the spillover event. Raul Ruiz, the top Democrat on the COVID panel, says the GOP wants to, quote, vilify Dr. Fauci. Winstrup says Morins, Fauci's deputy, used his private email to duck freedom of information requests. Other Democrats defend Fauci. Tony's fingerprints aren't on this. What I'm concerned about is that information is being cherry-picked uh, to be used to go after somebody. Dr. Christian Anderson communicated with Fauci in January 2020 that the signature of the virus made him wonder if it was man-made. But Anderson missed a deadline to comply with a subpoena for information. Winstrup accused Fauci of undercutting the lab leak theory because the U.S. funded research in Wuhan. Fauci says there was a small grant to study bats in China, but told Fox in January that research would be, quote, impossible to trigger a pandemic. So there you go. There's a report from Fox News on the origins of COVID. And you've got these whistleblower, a whistleblower right now says that CIA officials were paid to change the view that COVID originated in a Wuhan lab. The allegations, which stemmed from a seemingly credible source, that's according to a quote here, require Congress to investigate how the CIA handled its investigation of COVID's origins. And that's according to lawmakers. So the question is, why? Why did we do this? Why did Tony Fauci, the Fauci, as I like to call him, why did he not want his fingerprints on this? And I could, I could explain it pretty quickly. Senator Rand Paul has alluded to this. It's, this has been discovered in, um, in uh, by Matt Gates and others in, in congressional and, and Senate uh, uh, committee hearings. Fauci's organization, the uh, I forget the exact name, but the Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases or whatever it is, they funded a grant to a third party called Echo Health Alliance for the sake of what they called gain-of-function research. And gain-of-function is basically making a virus more lethal than it can be so that you can figure out how it mutates and, according to their theory, how it mutates and how it becomes treatable once it mutates, right? That's the theory. So it's like, well, I got to figure out how to deal with dead people, so I got to kill you, you know, that type of thing. So they did this gain-of-function research with there's several people in the scientific community who said we shouldn't even do gain of function research because it really doesn't serve a purpose. And if in the wrong hands, you've now made a super bug or a super virus that could potentially be used as a weapon. So they don't think it's a good idea. And we've had doctors on this program talk about that. Anyway, fast forward. Here we are. So 
Fauci gives the money to Echo Health Alliance. Echo Health Alliance gives it to the Wuhan Institute uh, where they create this, this virus and that the virus accidentally gets out. And I believe the accidentally part. I really do. So now we have Fauci saying, well, I, I don't want my fingerprints on that. Of course he doesn't want that because they'd say, well, who paid for this stuff and why were we paying millions of dollars to make a coronavirus more lethal? And oh, snap, it got out. Oh, snap, it killed millions, right? Then we have uh, the story that we uh, just talked about in the 11 o'clock hour, our second hour of the program, where a federal court has now ruled that the government very likely violated the First Amendment rights of Americans by coercing social media companies to censor content that said exactly what I'm saying right now. And I was saying it back then. So this is, to me, a massive cover-up, right? A massive cover-up where we paid to create this virus that killed medio mundo, right? Half the world. And now the top doc, crazy mad scientist, Dr. Fauci, he decides... He doesn't want anything to do with it. He retires. He thinks everything's going to go away, and it likely will. He's not going to go to jail for anything. So what happens now? If, if anything, maybe we can just learn more of the truth as it's trickling out now. And it's fascinating to see this happen. It makes all those great memes that I see on Instagram where they say, you know, um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a, uh, I'm a connect the daughter or something like that. And, you know, they make a lot of sense. Right? They make a lot of sense. Anyway, let's hit the phones on this one. Let's go to Sedona, Arizona. Uh, check in with Pat, listening on Rich Valdez, com. Pat, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Great show. Man, talk about connecting the dots. You did it. The, uh, the uh, CIA paid off those six men that got a uh, little... A uh, little uh, money under the table, as you might say, or you can say it many different ways. Oh, man, I tell you what, how many FBI agents have been paid off? How many of the DOJ have been paid off? You know, Congress, they've been paid off. Senate, they've been paid off. I mean, it's money. And these people don't understand one thing. If they kill us all, which they're trying like hell to do. You're right, Pat. The music means they're kicking us out, brother, but you're hitting the nail on the head, brother. Folks, give us a call if you want to join the convo, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. More to come straight ahead. We're going to get uh, into the rest of this and a couple of other things. Don't move a muscle. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, uh, she suspended the right to carry firearms in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And... Nobody took it well. Nobody. There's not a single person, maybe her and a few of her friends. 
But everybody was up in arms about this. And why? Because the, the police powers that one is given and under the guise that she's using is saying this is a health crisis, saying that law-abiding citizens not being able to carry their guns, and they have open carry in this state. So, the, you know, these are people that are historically have been carrying guns all over New Mexico. Her suggestion is that by taking guns away from law-abiding citizens, that somehow that's going to stop the gang violence and the shooting that's killing children that are involved in gang shootings. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But she stuck to her guns on this, and we played all that stuff yesterday. If you missed that show, go check it out, com, and you can listen to the whole show. But she says... It's not for the police to tell me what's constitutional or not. Listen to this. And it's not for police to tell me what's constitutional or not. They haven't supported one, not one, gun violence effort in the state of New Mexico, including domestic violence protections, universal background checks. Well, that's because guns aren't violent, ma'am. And police typically don't arrest guns. They arrest bad people. But John Allen, he's the sheriff of... Bernalillo County, or is that Bernalillo? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure on the pronunciation. But he had a press conference yesterday, and he responded uh, to Governor Lujan Grisham's gun ban. Listen to this. Let me be clear. I hold my standards high, and I do not or never will hedge on what is right. And I take my oath seriously. In reference to concealed carry and open carry, the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office will not enforce this segment of the order. While I understand the urgency, the temporary ban challenges the foundations of our Constitution, but most importantly, it is unconstitutional. My oath was to protect the Constitution, and that is what I will do. The governor made it clear in her press conference. She knew we as law enforcement did not agree with the order, and as a result, this was solely her decision. Other than this ban being unconstitutional, here are other reasons why I will not enforce the order. One, what many forget, is I have enough violence here in Bernalillo County. I do not want to have political violence towards my deputies or here in Bernalillo County. My job is to keep the peace and to make sure that the citizens of Bernalillo County are safe, and I do not believe that this order will help me do so. I'm a law enforcement professional. This order will not do anything to curb gun violence other than punish law-abiding citizens from their constitutional right to self-defense. Well, he's 100% right. And I mean, anybody on the, the math doesn't add up. You can't stop good people from doing anything and think it's going to affect bad people somewhere. Stop the bad people. What she should do is get more cops, put more cops on the street, fight the war, right? Go after the bad guys. Absolutely crazy. Let's go to the phones on this. 833-482-5337-8334, Valdez. Let's go to Monica calling from Pendleton, Oregon. K-U-M-A. Monica, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. Thank you for having me. This is my first time calling in on your show. But oh, welcome. Yeah, um, yeah thank you. Yeah, just as far as the guns, a gun is just a tool. A gun does not have a brain, right? Um, it's It kind of takes me to, like, you know, like somebody, uh, a nut goes loose in the 
in the steering wheel in a vehicle and it crashes. Well, was it the nut in the wheel or was it the nut behind the wheel, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, yeah. So that that is about it. The, um, when you were talking about gun mm-hmm. violence and whatnot, kind of it set me off. And it's not the gun's fault. Guns are just tools. Yeah, I think you're 100 percent right, Monica. And and it, this is um, uh, such a simplistic idea. And I'm sure those that criticize me will say, well, that's because you're a simpleton and you, you can't see the nuance. No, I see your nuance. It's BS. It's, there's no nuance. This country was was founded and, and we had a constitutional convention and we have the Constitution. The rights are inalienable and they come from God. They're natural rights. They don't come from the government. I, I give this speech so often, but the, the Constitution is is how we limit the government to protect our liberty not the liberty that's granted to us by the government. And it seems like this fundamental lesson is constantly being challenged by political tyrants like this Governor Grisham that think that they can create whatever they want to do. And honestly, I don't even think she's doing this for altruism. I think she's doing this for just political power. She wants to say, I stopped violence for 30 days or I stopped people from carrying guns. Those people aren't killing people. The bad guys that are out there committing gang violence, because um, gangs are violent, they're not going to listen to her silly order. Not even the cops are listening to her silly order. People are in the streets, all open carrying. I'm looking at the footage here on KOB Channel 4. Gun owners rallied in Old Town to protest a public health order. A pub- Imagine that, a public health order that says you can't carry a gun. What in the world is going on here? I mean, it's there's already laws preventing people that aren't allowed to carry guns from carrying guns. You know, if, if they use stop and frisk, if that were still a thing, that would help in a place uh, like Albuquerque. It really, really would. Nobody wants to see children get gunned down by a gang, get caught in a crossfire. You need more cops. You, you need to to fix this at the neighborhood level. You need a ceasefire. You need to talk to the gang leaders and say, hey, listen, we got to stop killing people. Figure out what's going on. Cut a deal. They do it in big cities all the time. But telling people that are living in a war zone that they can't carry a gun, which is their right, is absolute insanity. Monica, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to continue with the rest of your calls and the rest of our stories straight ahead. Give us a call, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. 
That's Valdez with an S. Boy, it's a sad day in America when Americans vote on what is the best country in the world and they don't pick the United States. Well, uh, according to U.S. News and World Report, the U.S. didn't even come in second. Americans have ranked Britain the best country in the world. The uh, outlet surveyed 17,000 respondents from 36 nations and broke down the data to see how many Americans alone ranked these countries. Behind Great Britain for best country is very picturesque New Zealand, this is according to the New York Post, followed by the USA, finally in third place. Number four was Australia, and Sweden was in fifth place, followed by Canada, Japan, France, Switzerland, and Germany, uh, which just made the list at number 10. So U.S. is number three, according to U.S. News and World Report, and these are Americans, according to their survey, saying that Great Britain and uh, New Zealand are number one and two. I haven't been to either, so I'm, I'm not going to weigh in on this, but I think it's pretty crazy. Um, let's see. Let's see what you guys think. And I want to get to the other topics that we have as well. So let us uh, continue with our calls. Let's see. Where do we go here? Where do we go? We're going to go to um, Peggy. Akron, Ohio, WNIR. Peggy, go right ahead. Hi. Um, I am feeling bad about Dr. Fauci only because of things my doctor told me about him. She had so much respect for that man, and all she ever talked about was how brilliant he is. And then all the this hatred toward him started bubbling up and I, I felt terrible. Yeah. Well, apparently it's, I I don't think it's hatred. I think it's, it's criticism. And, you know, I don't think uh, Dr. Rand Paul hates Dr. Fauci. I think he's called him out on a number of things that were just factually inaccurate. And apparently he's, he's just a smooth talker that tells a good story, but done a lot of bad things when nobody's looking. And he just doubles down on it when nobody else is looking. And this is the case with so many people, right? I think, you know, 10 years ago, people had tons of respect for the Bush family, tons of respect for so many people involved in politics. And then you you kind of uh, start to see what did they do behind the scenes and what were they involved in and how did they handle this or how did they approach that? And when you look at it through the lens of scrutiny and you say, man, you know, you're a heck of a nice guy or appear to be the heck of a nice guy. But when we look at what you've done to to the country, for the country, for the people, it just doesn't add up. It seems like you're not a heck of a nice guy. It seems like you're a bad guy. And I think we're seeing the same thing unravel with Joe Biden. I think people for years thought he was just like a doting grandpa, this, you know, silly senator from uh, from Delaware. And he was, you know, harmless in many ways. And I think all of it was a ruse. I mean, it's clear as day now that the Washington Post is reporting that his son made... million one year, $2.4 million the next, um, strictly from Chinese and Ukrainian business interests. Meanwhile, you've got him debating Donald Trump during the presidential election of 2020, saying, my son has no business with China. The The only person making money with China is this guy. And he points to Trump. So, I mean, clearly, whether you like Trump or not, Trump was right about everything that he said about Biden. And 
so right that today there's an impeachment inquiry going into Biden. And I think there should have been an impeachment inquiry for for uh, for Fauci to have him removed from his office. But the problem is he's re- resigned. He's retired. And it just it, it just goes to show you that some people are so good at pulling the wool over one's eyes. Peggy. Yeah, and I think back to the days when um, nobody was allowed to take pictures of a president who had polio. Right. Imagine that. Right. The the beginning of the the fake fake news and censorship. It's just remarkable how we've uh, graduated from those days. Uh, Thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. I want to continue. Let us go to Mike, Jamestown, New York, WJTN. Go right ahead. Hey, sir. Um, speaking about immigration, we hear everybody saying there's a broken immigration policy. Okay. Well, we yeah. all understand that. We all understand that. But we're not in any – I don't understand why nobody's saying this. It's a two-part problem. And it needs to be separated to be fixed. You have security first. Once Mm -hmm. you have security, there's the door. That's where you come in. If that's your house, you don't want people, you know, you let them in when they come to the door, but you don't want them crawling through the windows. Right. You know. And I think you're 100% right. They're sitting here. And again, this is more of that smoke and mirrors. The same thing Fauci did. The same thing this Governor uh, Grisham is doing. She wants to talk about a very legitimate tragedy, that that young people are dying at the hands of gangs that are shooting each other. And, and many of these young people are involved in the gangs. But irrespective, they could be wrong place, wrong time, playground, uh, shootouts, whatever the case is. They're all unfortunate. Nobody should be dying. And she takes this and turns it into a public health crisis and then says, hey, you can't have guns or you've got Fauci that says, no, 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 I didn't send the money to to the Wuhan Institute under oath. And of course, he didn't send the money to the Wuhan Institute. He sent it to Echo Health Alliance, who sent the money to the Wuhan Institute. It's the same trick that that Joe Biden uses, saying I my son didn't get any money from China. No, it was because Biden Inc. gave it to Biden Corp and Biden Corp gave it to Biden LLC and Biden LLC gave it to Hunter, you know, Enterprises. And they had 20 different shell corporations to cover up the money trail. Right. Same shell game, same political sleight of hand. We see it time and again with uh, mainly with the Democrats. That seems to be their M.O. And they try to do everything as if they're everybody's best friend. They're here to help you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you with very few people stopping to pause and say, maybe the best way to help me is to just let me make a lot of money and stop taking my money through taxes. Right. I don't really need the government to survive. I would just like to keep my money and I'd survive a lot better. Anyway, Mike, I appreciate your call. Very good insight and analysis. Jamestown, New York. Big shout out to you guys on WJTN. Folks, we're coming right back to your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Let's go to Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Check in with Paul. What's up, brother? Hey, uh, good evening, Rich. Uh, Rich, you know, after hearing that sheriff tonight and uh, listening to the sincerity in his voice, I was like uh, a red flag law person, and I had called and told you that. But now um, I'm changing my view a little bit after I seen what that governor tried to do, you know, with people's guns. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's not right. And I'm, I'm so you changed my mind, Rich. Um, well, I'm amen. no longer for those red flags. Yeah. And I, I do believe that people should have the right to protect themselves. And like I said, that sheriff that was speaking right there, I, I do really believe he was very sincere. Uh, and, me too. Um, I just don't think that, you know, that takes away our Second Amendment right. So um, uh, that's, you know, that's my my belief now. So you changed my mind, Rich, you and your program and all your guests and everything. So I, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and I think that's important. If there's anything I could ever leave an impression on somebody, it's for them to just read the Constitution and take it incredibly seriously. Because the more we get involved with rhetoric, emotions, feelings, and all sorts of things that try to uh, make sense of the Constitution and to turn it into something it's not, the, the the less liberty we'll have. That literally is the only document that comes between us and that crazy tyrannical governor, between us and a crazy tyrannical police chief or anybody else, a crazy tyrannical ex-spouse that says, no, 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 he's got guns, he's crazy, he said he's going to kill me, and then boom, there go your guns. I mean, it's just it, everything can be abused, and this is why we have to focus on the rule, not the exception to the rule. Paul, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Let us go to John in Charleston, West Virginia, WCHS. John, quickly, go right ahead. Okay. First, I would like to, this is my thought. I think that the coronavirus um, was, was when they were digging down deep in the earth from the Marcellus Shell, which was stopped at Mongahelia National State Forest due to endangered species. But now it's going to go back in and connect to the valley. Digging in the earth is what caused coronavirus. I haven't seen that theory, but thank you, John. I appreciate it. We'll look into it. Dave, in, where is this? Mexico, Missouri? KFRU. Go right ahead. Hi, Al. How you doing? Quickly, quickly. You got one sentence. Go. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment that uh, I believe all the problems in our nation is due to a lot of the nation turning away from God. Turning away from God. I think you're right, Dave. I appreciate the call. Call back soon. The music means they're kicking me out. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it again tomorrow. Keep it locked on this station. There's more programming right after me. Don't go anywhere. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.